present this evening. We appreciate the presence of everyone. I hope you've got your Bible with you. If not, perhaps there's one in a pew close by, and I encourage you to be turning to 1 Kings chapter 16. We'll begin there in just a moment. Tomorrow night, we'll be talking about, is the young man safe? A question David asked concerning his own son. Is the young man safe? We'll talk about the home and the family and raising our children in that study. And then on Thursday evening, things that encourage. Do you need encouragement? Do you feel at times you come to church or maybe you talk to your brethren and you say, I don't get the encouragement that I need. I need encouragement. We'll talk about things that do encourage us. And then on Friday evening, we'll close by looking at the earnest cry of Bartimaeus, how to get out of your rut. Maybe you feel like you're in a rut and I need to get out of this rut. How do you do that? We'll analyze that from the earnest cry of Bartimaeus. If I were to come to your house and ask you, what is it that you have for sale? What is it that you have there that you're willing to sell? In other words, if I ask you, what, what are you selling here? You probably would answer as I would if you came to my house and you said, what is it that's for sale? Well, really nothing here is for sale. I'm not selling anything. Nothing here is for sale. Do you say, I want to buy some of the things I see. I see those dogs in the yard. Well, they're not for sale. I, I wouldn't sell those. I'd like to buy one of those horses in the field. No, they're, they're just what I want. I, I wouldn't sell those either. They're not for sale. Well, I saw tools in the shop. Well, no, I use those. I'm not going to sell those. That's not for sale. Maybe a better question would be, what are you not willing to sell? In other words, again, you come to my house and you say, what's for sale? Well, nothing's for sale, but there'd be some things. If you really wanted it, I guess I would sell it to you. But there are some things there that I'm just not willing to part with right now. I'm not ready to sell that. And that dog is one of them, that horse is one of them, the tools, the truck, and so on down the line. I'm not willing to sell that. I'm not like some who would say, that's not for sale at any price. Really? <laughs> you wouldn't take a million dollars for that? We have a lady that goes to church with us. We were talking about this very point. She said concerning her poodle dog, she said, I wouldn't sell that dog for a million dollars. I said, I would sell your dog for a million dollars. Forgiveness is easier than permission. What they really mean is it's not for sale at a reasonable price. Let's go back to that dog you wanted. It's not for sale, but it's not for sale at a reasonable price, but the right price, I'd probably let him go. Same thing with the horse, same thing with the tools, the truck and anything else. The truth is we would sell almost anything at the right price, wouldn't we? Nothing's for sale here, but at the right price, we'd let it go. And it's likely we would sell some very dear, precious possessions, some things that are very sentimental to us. Have some things that belong to me that probably would mean nothing to you, but they're very sentimental to me. Here's a book I have in my library. It's about 100 years old. It's not what makes it valuable to me. It's an old book. You can tell by looking at it. It's torn. It's tattered. It's a Greek New Testament. I don't know what it would sell for in a used bookstore, but I'm going to guess on the high side that it might bring 3 to $5 in a used bookstore. If you offered me $500 for it, I'd say you can't touch it for $500. Not that book. 
You're not going to get to that. You see, the preacher that it belonged to and the circumstance under which he received it is just means too much to me, and I wouldn't let that go for $500. It'd be crazy for you to offer that, but you're not going to touch that for $500. It's just very precious to me. No, you can't have that. Sitting in my library is a tool, it's a little plane, carpenter's plane. Can't tell from the picture, but it's a very small plane. It's probably not even four inches long. You buy a brand new one for $10 over on Depot or Lowe's. I'm going to guess since that one has broken in the heel and the screw there is a replacement that's not the original screw and it's not the right screw and it doesn't really function as it ought to, but it still was working. That on the high side at a flea market, that might bring three to five dollars. You say, well, I'd like to have that. You offer me $500, you can't have it for that. No, sir, not that plane. No, because you see, it's the, it belonged to a man who was one of the best men I ever knew and one of the best carpenters I ever met. You can't have it for that. Now, when I said you couldn't have it for $500, you say, well, I'll tell you what, I really want both of those and I'll offer you a thousand apiece for them. Well, no, not really. Now, suppose you get real di- ridiculous and you say, I'll give you $2,500 apiece for those. I've still got the pictures. I guess you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> You see my point? We would sell almost anything at the right price, wouldn't we? See, those are not for sale, but if you want them really bad, there's a price at which I'd let those go. And that's especially true when somebody is standing beside us encouraging us to sell. Somebody would be standing beside me when they offered $1,000 or $500 for the book or for the plane. You better sell. You're crazy. Let me ask you this. Would you sell yourself? Oh, I'm not talking about in some immoral way. That's not what we're talking about. But would you sell out your principles? Would you sell yourself as a slave to someone? Would you go to someone and say, for this huge amount of money, I'll be your slave the rest of my life? Would you do that? Would you sell yourself? I want to introduce you to a man who did that very thing. He sold himself to do evil. Now, let's open our Bibles to turn to 1 Kings chapter 16. If you're not already there, we're going to spend our time in 1 Kings. So find an Old Testament. It might be your electronic edition or it might be one in the pew. But let's open our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 16. And we see a man who did sell himself. This is our introduction to Ahab. Notice in verse 29 of chapter 16, this is how we're introduced to Ahab. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Amri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Amri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Now, Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And that's our introduction to him. Now, the story of Ahab is found from chapter 16, beginning here, all the way through chapter 22. So we have 16 and 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. All of that deals with the story of Ahab, and that's where we're going to be in our study tonight. But I want you to turn over, and let's get ahead of ourselves, to chapter 21 and in verse 25. In chapter 21 and verse 25, the text says, he sold himself to do wickedness. Let's read the verse together. 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 25, but there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Obviously, there are two things there. 
And here are the two things. Number one, he sold himself to do wickedness. And number two, she stirred him up to do that wickedness. And so tonight, let's talk about selling and stirring. Now you understand our title for our study tonight. Here was a man who sold himself to do evil. And the reason for that is someone was stirring him up and that was his wife Jezebel. So we're going to look at two points tonight. Number one, we're going to see Ahab sold himself to do evil. And then we're going to turn and talk about Jezebel stirred him up. What practical things do we learn about all of that? Now let's focus on Ahab sold himself to do evil. Let's go back to chapter 21 now for our study. And notice twice that statement is made. At verse 20, the text says that um, then Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Now then our text at verse 25, which we've already read, said he sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Now this is a metaphor that refers to the practice of selling oneself into slavery. Where one would go to one, as I mentioned a moment ago, and for enormous sum, they would sell themselves into slavery, and now you've committed to be the slave of this person for the rest of your life. Now, he didn't literally sell himself to be a slave, but using that concept, when he decided to do evil, he had sold himself to become a slave of sin. That's the point. So now let's begin in opening our text to 1 Kings chapter 16. If you've turned from there, let's go back to the 16th chapter and let's raise this question. And the question is, what is it that Ahab did so that the text describes him as a man who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord? What is it that he did? And here's the first thing I want you to notice in verse 31. Notice that he viewed sin as a trivial matter. Look at chapter 16 and verse 31. We read verse 30. We had just been introduced to him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the, son, in the sins of uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshiped him. Now we'll pick up and read a little further a little bit later. And so what did I just learn from that? One of the things that made the text describe him as a man who sold himself to do evil is because he viewed sin as a trivial matter. Those who view sin as a trivial matter view it as if there are no serious consequence. Oh, yes, it's sin. Oh, yes, it's contrary to what the Bible may say, but there are no serious consequences. Jesus said that if you die in your sins, John 8, 21, where I go, you cannot come. That's pretty serious. In other words, you can't go to heaven. If you die in sin, you can't go to heaven. That's a pretty serious consequence. Notice in Ezekiel chapter 16 and in verse 22 that shame and sin go hand in hand. The text says there, bear your own shame because of the sins you've committed. And those who view sin as a trivial matter, they view it as a thing where there is no reason for shame. In fact, people are not ashamed of their sin. They don't mind boasting of their sin. They don't mind exploiting their sin and seeing their sin dis uh, displayed before others. There is nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, it may be that they laugh at those who say it's bad and serious. They may ridicule you because you think this act is sinful. They may make fun of you because you will not participate. You think it's something that's going to make you go to hell. Those who view sin as a trivial matter are selling themselves to do evil. I'm here tonight to tell you, you're selling yourself to do evil 
when you treat sin as a trivial matter. But here's something else. What is it that he did? So the text would describe him as a man who sold himself to do evil. And I want to suggest from the very same verse, verse 31, that he married a worldly woman. Let's go back to our text, chapter 16 and verse 31. As if it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took as a wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, the, the king of the Sidonians. He married a worldly woman. Jezebel was a pagan. She was a worshiper of idols. He married a worldly woman. The Jews were forbidden to marry those of the pagan world. Let's go back just for a moment to Exodus chapter 34 and notice the reason why that was true. Exodus chapter 34. He said, lest in verse 15, you make a covenant with the inhabitants. In other words, drive them out of the land, have nothing to do with them. Because here's what's going to happen. If you don't do that, you'll make a covenant with the people. And they'll play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them will invite you to his feast and to sacrifice. And you take of his daughters for your son and his daughters play the harlot and with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. See the point? See, don't marry these people of the land. Don't marry the pagans because the next thing you know through that association, you'll end up marrying those. And when you marry those, you'll be practicing the very same things they do. That happened to Ahab. The Jews were forbidden. She brought in her worldly practices, her worldly influence into the marriage relationship. And I'm here tonight to tell you this, you're selling yourself to do evil when you marry a worldly person. You may think of yourself as being godly and you choose to marry a worldly and ungodly person whose principles are contrary to the will of God. You're selling yourself to do evil just like Ahab did. But what do I find in this text that says that Ahab was a man who sold himself to do evil? In that same context, beginning at verse 31 down through verse 33, let's notice he took on a religion like that of the world. Ahab was supposed to be a person of God, but he took on a religion like that of the world. Let's notice again chapter 16 of the book of 1 Kings, beginning at verse 31. It came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He took his wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made, wooden, made a wooden image. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel which were before him. What do you see? The world worshipped idols. Jezebel was an idol worshiper. Here is a man that took on the same kind of religion that they had. He took on their religious practices. Now as you look at Ahab, he has no practice any different from that of Jezebel. He has no practice any different than her father. He has no practice different than that of the pagan world all around him. And yet he was supposed to be a person of God. I've come here tonight to tell you this, that you're selling yourself to do evil when your religion is not that much different from the world. When your belief is not much different from what the people of the world believe. And your practice is not much different from the religions of the world. 
And your commitment to God is not any better than the commitment of the religions of the world. You're selling yourself to do evil. That's what Ahab did. The text says he sold himself to do evil. What is it that he did so that the text says he's a man who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord? Well, I want to suggest to you that he blamed others for his own problems. Let's go to the 18th chapter and look at verse 17. 18 and in verse 17. We haven't in this story been introduced to Elijah yet, but Elijah comes on the scene. And I want you to notice at verse 17 that it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? That's what he thought about Ahab, about Elijah. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Please be advised that Ahab was the man who was leading others into idolatry. He had been influenced by a pagan wife. He's now the king influencing others to go into idolatry. Thus, he was the one that was troubling Israel. All that Elijah was doing was merely telling him the truth. He was revealing to him God's word, how his idolatry was wrong and it was sinful and contrary to the will of God. And he was an apostate. He blames Elijah, though, for the trouble in Israel. He turns to Elijah and he says, is that you, O troubler of Israel? You're the man causing all the trouble. And I want to suggest to you here tonight that you're selling yourself to do evil when you blame others for all of your problems. When you do things that are contrary to the will of God and you make bad choices, and then you blame those who correct you. When you make choices and the fruit of your choices become evident and you blame others for the consequence of your choices, you're selling yourself to do evil. It may be that you make a bad choice in who you marry. Or you make a bad choice in how you conduct yourself within your marriage. Or you make some very poor choices in the rearing and the raising of your own family and your children. And when things turn south and they turn sour, you begin to point your finger at the church and the brethren and everyone else. It's their fault for the reason your family's in the mess that it's in. You're selling yourself to do evil. Time and again, that's happened. Someone marries a person of the world. They raise their children with half of the influence of the world and half of the influence or maybe a fourth of the influence of God's word. And then their children turn out to the world and then they point their finger at the church because things didn't go well with their children. It's your fault. The elders didn't do the things. The, the Bible class teachers of the church didn't take interest in our family. It's exactly what Ahab did. Ahab pointed his finger at, at Elijah and said, that's you, O troubler of Israel, he said. He sold himself to do evil. But let's go now to chapter 20. Let's raise again the question, what is it that he did so that the text would describe him as a man who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord? And I want to tell you that he did what he wanted instead of what God wanted him to do. He did what he wanted instead of what God wanted him to do. Now, let's get an idea of what God wanted him to do. We're now in chapter 20 of the book of 1 Kings, and I want you to notice at verse 28 that God had said he would deliver Ben-Hadad into his hand and all that were with him. Look at verse 28. The man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel. That's Ahab. And he said, thus says the Lord God, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills, but not the God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand and you shall know that I'm the Lord. God has promised he's going to deliver Ben-Hadad into his hand. Now, let's get ahead of ourselves and let's drop on down to verse 42. 
I want you to notice at verse 42, God wanted him destroyed. When I deliver him into your hand, what I mean for you to do is I want you to destroy this king. Look at verse 42. Now we'll see the context of this in a moment. But he said, because you've let slip out of your hand the man whom I appointed to utter destruction. What you were supposed to do with Ben-Hadad is destroy him. That's God's plan. But let's see what happened. I want you to notice back up earlier in verse uh, verse 34, actually beginning at verse 31, down through verse 34, Ben-Hadad cried for the sparing of his life. And Ahab struck a treaty with him, verse 34, and spared his life. In other words, he did what he wanted instead of what God wanted. Now I want you to notice that Ahab was given illustrations concerning disobedience. Here's how disobedience works. Let's see what happens. Beginning at verse 35. There was a certain man of the sons of the prophets who said to his neighbor, by the word of the Lord. Remember that from our study last night? By the word of the Lord, strike me, please. That seems kind of strange, doesn't it? But it was by the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord said, strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. Then he said, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left, a lion found him and killed him. It's an illustration of disobedience. You were told by the word of the Lord to strike me. You didn't strike me. You're going to die. There's consequences to disobedience. Let's see how obedience works. Look at verse 37. Found another man. He said, strike me, please. And he struck him, inflicting a wound. Then the prophet departed. He did exactly what he's supposed to. He was told by the word of the Lord, strike me. And he did. That's obedience. Here's a second illustration. Look at verse 37 beginning. At verse 37, or rather verse 38, the the prophet departed and he waited for the king by the road and he disguised himself with bandage over his eyes. And as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and he said this, your servant went out in the midst of the battle and there's a man who came over to me and brought this man to me and said, guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life or else you'll pay a talent of silver. Well, what happened? Well, look at verse 40. He said, and while your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. I let him get away. I was told to guard him with my life and I let him get away. I was supposed to do this, but I didn't do what I was supposed to. What the king said? The king says, so shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Does this remind you of David and Nathan? <laughs> and then notice the prophet hastened to take off the bandage from his eyes, and the king recognized him as one of the prophets, and that's where he said, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom God appointed to utter destruction. Therefore, your life should go for his life and your people for his people. You disobeyed. What I'm trying to get you to see is Ahab was a man who did whatever he wanted instead of what God wanted. And I'm here to tell you that when you do what you want, regardless of God's will, you're selling yourself to do evil. Have you ever heard someone say this, or have you said it yourself? I know what the Bible says, and watch for this word, but, and then here's the defense for doing otherwise. I know we're supposed to, but here's why I don't. I know the Bible tells us we're we're, we're to do this, but 
What we're saying is, I know what God told me, but I want to do what I want instead. I want to tell you, you're selling yourself to do evil. That's what Ahab did. I know God told me to, to destroy him. I know I'm supposed to, but he begged for his life and I struck a deal with him. I did what I wanted instead. But let's go further. What is it that Ahab did so he could be described as a man who sold himself to do evil? And I want to suggest to you that he was selfish and he was discontent. Let's go to chapter 21, a very familiar story to us. This is the story of Naboth's vineyard. He was selfish and he was discontent. Let's start with verses 1 to 4. He was a man who wanted Naboth's vineyard. So look at verse 1. It came to pass that after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which is in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, King Ahab of Samaria. And so Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden. In other words, I want, is it for sale? I want to buy it. Here's what I'll give you for it. He said, uh, because, and the reason I want it is because it's near to my house, and I will give you a vineyard better than it. I'll trade with you. Or he said, I will give you its worth and money. I'll give you fair market value. Notice his answer. Verse 3, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. It's not for sale. See, it means more to me than, than fair market value. Some things I have are worth more to me than fair market value. That's why you can't have that book for $500. I don't want to give up something precious to me. That's what he's saying. Now look at verse 4. He wants that vineyard. And because he was refused, he went to his house displeased because of the word of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And he said, because he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. He's pouting and acting like a child. Selfish and discontent. And I want to suggest to you that he was king. He could have had whatever he wanted. He had an abundance. He could have bought another vineyard. But he wants this vineyard. And I want you to notice beginning at verse 5, he was willing to go to any length. Let's get the gist of that because we're going to use this a little more later in the next section of our study. Let's notice beginning at verse 5. Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said, why is your spirit so sullen and why do you eat no food? And he said, well, it's because of that neighbor. He won't sell me the vineyard. I want it so bad and he won't give it to me. And she says, uh, now exercise authority at verse 7 over Israel and eat, arise and eat and be cheerful. And I will give you that vineyard. So she cooks up the scheme. Let's have this feast in honor of Naboth and let's hire two scoundrels to come and say he's blasphemed God and the king. And they'll go out and stone him and kill him. And when he's stoned and killed, then therefore you go and seize the, the vineyard. And that's exactly what took place. Here was a man who was only thinking of himself. Here is a man who is so dissatisfied, he couldn't think of anything else but what he was missing because he's so focused on himself. I'm here tonight to tell you this, that when you're discontent and dissatisfied and only focusing on what's been done wrong to you and what you're missing and what you need and what you've got to have and how you have to satisfy that, you're selling yourself to do evil. But let's go again. What is it that Ahab did that the text says he is described as a man who sold himself to do evil? And I want to suggest to you that he had disregard for those who proclaim the truth. He had disregard for those who proclaim the truth. Let's go to chapter 22. 
And let's work our way down to verse 8, and then we'll come on down to verse 14 in a moment. So here's the story of chapter 22. There is a story about Micaiah, but we we get to Micaiah in just a moment. In verse 2, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, came to the king of Israel. And so they're meeting together, and the king of Israel says to Jehoshaphat that he wanted to go take Ramoth Gilead, and would you go fight with me? Let's go fight him together. Let's, let's band our, our armies together. And Jehoshaphat said that, please, at verse 5, inquire of the word of the Lord concerning this. Let's inquire of God if God's behind this and God is approving of this. And so they sought the answer from 400 men, 400 prophets in verse 6. And every one of them said, go, go, go. God's with you. God will bless you. Everything's great. Just go on and do that. Jehoshaphat's not satisfied. He said, is there any other? Now, this gets interesting. And the king said at verse 8, well, there's this one other prophet, but disregard him. Name is Micaiah. What's, what, what, what about him? Well, he said, I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me but evil. Really? What kind of man is this Micaiah? Well, they call for Micaiah. And the messengers go out to Micaiah. This is interesting at verse 13. Remember this as we get to our lesson on encouragement later on in the week. They come to him and say, now listen. Now listen here. 400 prophets have told him to go, and you need to say the same thing too. Do you think about that? That's like asking a preacher. We've asked a bunch of preachers, and, and they've taught that this is okay, and we're going to ask another. No, you need to agree with them instead of telling us what the word of the Lord said. We, you need to agree with all the rest, rest of them. Notice his answer. Look at verse 14. He said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. That's why Ahab hated him. He didn't like that. And I'm suggesting you had a disregard for those who proclaimed the truth. You see, Micaiah was a prophet who told the truth. He was a man, though encouraged to agree with everyone else, he was willing to stand by himself and say, this is the revelation of God. Ahab hated him because he didn't say what he wanted him to say. And I'm here tonight to tell you that when you reach the point that you have a dislike and a disregard for those who stand for the truth, you have sold yourself to do evil. When you listen to the preaching of the gospel and you don't like it, I know, it's, I know that's what it says, but I don't like that. And I don't like those who preach that. I wish they wouldn't say that. You're selling yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, what is it that Ahab did? We're not through because we got to look at Jezebel. But we've been looking at the question, what is it that Ahab did? So the text says he sold himself to do evil. He viewed sin as a trivial matter. He married a worldly woman. He took on a religion like that of the world. He blamed others for his own problems. He did what he wanted instead of what God wanted. He was selfish, discontent, and had a disregard for those who stand for the truth. Let me ask you, could you be selling yourself to do evil? Are you selling out your principles? Are are there times you sell out your principles? Are you making compromises? Have you turned your back on what you know to be right? You say, well, yeah, there's times I feel like I've turned my back on what I know to be right. You may be selling yourself to do evil. Here's the second part of our study. Jezebel stirred him up. Let's go back to our text at verse 25. Remember the two points? Because there was none like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness, the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. 
Now, what is it that the text says or reveals to us so that she would be described as a woman who stirred him up? Well, let's go back to chapter 16, 30, and 31 where we started. She brought the influence of the world into the marriage relationship. Let's go back where we started. Let's not forget that. Did Ahab, the son of Amram, reading at verse 30, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him? And it came to pass as though it were a trivial thing. For him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took as a wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians. She brought the influence of the world. I want to suggest to you that marriage is the closest of relationships, and it's natural she's going to have a strong influence on Ahab. How could she not have an influence on him? She's not just some distant relative. This is his, his wife, the closest of relationships, and she brought the influence of the world. Let's turn to Psalm 106. This is a powerful passage telling us a development how things lead, one thing leads to the next thing. So turn to Psalm 106. This is a historical psalm as you're turning there. And it tells us how they finally reach the point. Do you ever see someone who is deep in sin and you say, how on earth did they get to that point? It's a progression. Let's see the progression in Psalm 106. Now remember we started earlier talking about how they were to drive the people out of the land and have nothing to do with the people of the land, and they failed to do that. So let's start at verse 34, Psalm 106. Notice the progression of thought. Now watch this. They did not destroy the people concerning whom the Lord had commanded them. What did they fail to do? They didn't separate from the people. God had said, separate from the people, have nothing to do with them, drive them out of the land. They didn't do that. Well, when they failed to do that, what did that lead to? Look at verse 35. Secondly, they mingled with the Gentiles. I want to tell you, they never would have mingled with the Gentiles had they separated from the Gentiles. But because they didn't separate from the Gentiles, they're now mingling with the Gentiles. What did that lead to? Let's go further. And thirdly, learn their works. They would have never learned their works if they weren't mingling and they wouldn't, wouldn't mingle if they had separated themselves because they didn't separate themselves, they're mingling and they've learned their works. We're not done. We're not done. Look at verse 36. And serve their idols. They're now idolaters. Why? They're idolaters because they learned the works of the pagans because they were mingling with the pagans because they didn't separate themselves from the pagans. So because they didn't separate, they're mingling, they learned their works, now they're serving idols. But it gets worse. It gets worse. Look at verse 36. Verse 36, which became a snare to them, now 37. They even sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. How on earth did it ever get so bad they're taking their own children? These are Israelites taking their own children and sacrificing them to their gods. I'll tell you how it happened. They're doing that because they got into idolatry. How'd they get into idolatry? Because they learned the ways of the Gentiles. Why'd they learn the ways of the Gentiles? They'd mingled with the Gentiles. Why are they mingling? Because they didn't separate themselves. See the point? The pagans were strongly influential on Israel. Solomon's wives 
influenced him. Nehemiah chapter 13, the text says, says nevertheless, pagan women um, caused even him to sin. That's an interesting phrase, even him. Even Solomon, with all of his wisdom, was led to sin by his pagan wives. I want to tell you, it very well may be that the influence of a worldly mate or a worldly friend may be stirring you up. You think of yourself as godly, I'm trying to do what's right, but you have a worldly mate or you have a worldly friend that may be stirring you up to do evil. But there's a second thing. She sought to destroy the influence of godly leaders. Go to chapter 18 now. 1 Kings 18 verse 4. She sought to destroy the influence of godly leaders. Look at verse 4. For so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets. She tried to kill the prophets. Did. Look at verse 13. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets? Look at 19 and 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do so to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time, I'm going to kill you too. But she said, she sought to silence those that were against her wickedness. I don't know what I'm talking about it anymore. I want to tell you that those who begin to veer from the path will not appreciate godly leaders. Have you ever noticed that? When a person begins to get weaker and weaker and they begin to veer from the path, they don't have a great deal of, of respect for godly people, godly Christians, godly elders and godly preachers and those who are trying to influence them. Have you noticed those two principles? Just think about this for a moment. We're going to go further, but just take these two things alone. She brought in the influence of the world and she tried to destroy the influence of the godly. Parents take heed. Let's group those two things together and see if that doesn't apply to parents. When you allow the influence of the world on your children and you minimize the influence of elders and preachers and brethren, you're stirring your children to do evil. How so? Well, we may tolerate and allow the, our children. We see them having friends in the world and, and we encourage that or at least tolerate that. We don't see any danger in that. And we know they're running with some people that don't have the same principles. We know they're spending time with them. We know those are their friends. And at the same time on the way home from church, they, the children hear us criticize the elders, pick apart the sermon. It was too hard. It was too harsh. Those things aren't wrong he was preaching about. And we ridicule those that are straight-laced because they're against the things we tolerate in our home. And then we scratch our head and wonder, why did our children go to the world? I'll tell you why they went to the world. is because we allowed the influence of the world and we minimized the influence of the godly and we've stirred our children up to do evil. That would have been a good place for an amen right there. But thirdly, thank you, sir. Chapter 21. What is it that Ahab did so that he sold himself to do evil? Or that, that she stirred him up. She helped Ahab get whatever he wanted. Back to chapter 21. 
The story of Naboth's vineyard, do you remember what she did? He's pouting and she said, get up and be cheerful and, and you're the king, be, be who you need to be and I'll see you to all of this. And she came up with this scheme that we've already talked about. There was no telling him, you can't have it. There was the attitude that she had, whatever it takes for you to get whatever you want. She helped and she aided and she planned how he could get what he wanted. And I'm here tonight to tell you that when you help and you coach and you encourage your family to get whatever they want, regardless of the wisdom of it, you may be stirring them up. That's what they want. That's what they, I'm going to help them get whatever they want. There's no wisdom in it, maybe. We forget about basic principles, but we're going to help them get whatever they want. I want to make them happy. It very well may be we're stirring them up. What is it that Jezebel did so that she could be described as a woman who stirred her husband to do evil? Same story, same context, same passage, chapter 21, 1 to 16. She had little regard for things of value. I want to tell you that she had no regard for the property of others. That's Naboth's vineyard. She didn't care. We're going to get it. We're going to steal it. She had no regard for principles of fairness. There's nothing fair about killing him and taking his vineyard. Doesn't matter if it's fair or not. There was no regard for human life. She had no regard for things of value. I want to tell you that when you're around those who have little regard for important things, you very well may be stirred up. You see, I've got friends. They're, they're, they're pretty good people, but they don't have Bible principles. When they don't have the same value system you have, they very well may be stirring you up to do evil. They very well may be doing that. Because they have little regard for important things. And may I also suggest to you that when you are not emphasizing what's important to your mate and to your children, you may be stirring them up. And you're wondering why your mate's not interested in spiritual things, or maybe you're not, why are my children not showing more spiritual interest? I might not be emphasizing to them what's important. I may be showing little regard and little value for that which is important. What is it that Jezebel did? So that she stirred him up. She brought the influence of the world. She destroyed the influence of the godly. And she helped Ahab get whatever he wanted and had little regard for things of value. Let me ask you, could you be stirring someone up? Could someone be stirring you up? Could it be you're doing some things and saying some things that's encouraging someone to do evil? Or maybe someone is encouraging you to do that. Maybe that's the case. Do you feed off of the fears of others? Do you feed off of other people's dislikes? Do you encourage others, and I might, should put quotations around encourage, when somebody has their complaints that you rush to them and say, you know what, you're not the only one who feels that way. <laughs> and you encourage that and you feed that. Do you plant seeds? And doubts and ideas, and then you come back and you build on those later, you very well may be stirring someone up to do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. Selling and stirring. Ahab sold himself to do evil, and we know why. The text says that, and Jezebel stirred him up, and we know why the text says that. 
There may be one or more present here this evening who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, confess your faith in Christ, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?